Hi, it's <clears throat> Tuesday afternoon. Let me see if I can do the Haftorah, which uh, is being sponsored by a good friend. <clears throat> Recht Hand to Stel Recht Hand, because it's her dad's yard site uh, coming up uh, two days in Adar. Notice on Thursday, day after tomorrow. So, in addition to that, she wants me to know that this um, podcast is also being sponsored, uh, separate from that, as uh, to include her full Shlema for her sister, who just underwent knee replacement surgery yesterday. Um, that's close to home, because my knees are in bad shape. I hope my doctor told me I don't need knee surgery yet, but I know exactly what that's all about. Uh, I wish I didn't, so I do wish Mrs. Rechthan's sister a very much of a Shlema, and uh, for me as well as her. And <clears throat> without any further ado, let's take a look at the Haftar today, which is, of course, Kind of funny. You don't know if the people who put the Avtorah to, to, had a funny sense of humor <clears throat> of a certain type, a cynical sense of humor, or not. You know, senses of humor change over the centuries. And the reason I say it is because we have this big contrast that I'm sure I've spoken about before between the building of the Mishkan on the one and the building of the base of Mishkan on the other. And the first thing that strikes you is voluntary versus for, forced labor. In the parish, it's a vehicle truma. That is strictly a voluntary business. Only who's someone whose heart moves them to make the contribution. Otherwise, I don't want your money. Right? If you don't want to do it, I don't want you to do it. And by contrast, in this week's Parsha, the Haftorah, when we talk about Shlomo, it says, Vayal Hamel Shlomo Mas Nikol Yisrael. Excuse me. Shloshim Elvish. Which means the Shlomo recruited a forced labor uh, force, forced labor from Jews, not Gentiles, to build the base of and other projects. And it even describes it involved 30,000 workers who had to be there um, whether they wanted to or not. Some markets, attacks. And by Shlomo Levonona, and you send them all the way far away up to Lebanon, chop down the trees and all that. Aserah Salafim B'chodesh, and the 30,000-man force was um, done in, in um, what's the right word? In relays, I guess. Different group A, group, a, group B, group C. Aserah Salafim Khalifas B'chodesh, and they had a system where um, you worked, no, it was over the course of the year, January and February, you worked at home, and then March, you worked on forced labor at Lebanon. April and May, you worked at home. In June, you worked in Lebanon. July and August, you worked at home. and September, you worked in Lebanon, and so forth. One month over there, two months by yourself. So, in, in English, they call it the corvée, and the French word, where the peasantry had to work for free on behalf of the noblemen of the Lord. Now, this is a bummer, and specifically, when Shlomo dies later on, the people say to his son, we'll accept you as king, but you have to abolish this. Okay? We have to abolish this. This is really what they had in mind. Your father made the burden too heavy. I don't think they were talking so much. If you look at it closely, you analyze it closely, I don't think they're talking so much about um, the exorbitant taxes. But they couldn't stand that <coughs> forced labor, which is true throughout peasantry and throughout history. They always hate the forced labor, uh, which is just interesting. 
And one of the reforms in the West during Europe and the Enlightenment period, <clears throat> the more enlightened monarchs converted the forced labor into cash payments. So the peasants refer, preferred that. I'd rather pay a little bit extra more in taxes or whatever it is and um, <clears throat> not have to go and put physical labor in for, for so forth. Okay? So they said in, in Perkut Beis and Melochim, I'll read the words again closely. <clears throat> this is what the people said to the son of Shlomo who wanted to be king, Rechavah. Your father, made heavy our, our yoke. And now we want you, we want you to lighten up the heavy labor that, you, that, that, that your father makes us do. We want you to, to lighten the avodas avicha, the physical labor, and the heavy yoke that he's laid on us, benavdeka. So it's just very interesting. And the redox is right there. I mean, I'm just looking out to the redox. Uh, the, what do you call it? Uh, right? In other words, <clears throat> The 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 uh, forced labor, the, the 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 taxes, not the taxes, the physical labor, okay, and uh, and of course, when the son listened to the uh, young advisor and the older one, he said, "I'll make it even worse than you." He lost him because what he was saying is, "I'll make it not that's like one month a year, one month in Lebanon and two months at home. I'll do two months in Lebanon and one month at home," which really freaked him out, and he said, "We quit," okay, he quit. And um, I think, in my opinion, that's the plain meaning <coughs> of the Pasuk. And uh, it was really hated. And the proof is that when the king, who was stupid, I'm talking about uh, Rechavam now, he's like a classic definition of stupid. When he gives this advice to the people and they say, we all quit, we're not going to be part of your Maluch anymore, and they all quit, they couldn't do anything to them. So the king, very in a very dumb way, um, sent someone to talk to them. Now, I think it means to talk to them, or maybe it means that he pretended like he doesn't hear them, and he says, you're going to do what I tell you to do, and like it. And he sent Adoniram, Asher Lamas, Adoniram, who is in our parsha today, in our Haftorah. He was the guy in charge of the forced labor force. He was the most hated guy. Okay? And, Vayirgumogbo, uh, and they stoned him to death. Okay? And the king was also going to get stoned to death, and he jumped on a chariot and ran away. So, it sounds like he was going to act like one of these tough guys and say, you don't tell me what to do, I tell you what to do. And he's going to send a donirum. So you see, it was really uh, hated. <clears throat> I know some of the fortune like the sugar coat and so forth, but I don't think so. And I can't tell you what I think. Now, um, this was a powerful labor force, and it's described in our Haftorah. And the point I want to get at is that um, it had a Jewish police force. Now, I'm not going to compare this to the to the Nazis or anything like that. But a Jewish police force who beat up and forced the people to do this forced labor and punish them if they didn't. It says in the Haftorah today, that he had 70,000 Nosei Sabal and Shimonim El, 80,000, uh, you know, quarrying in the mountains. This is hard labor. 
Levad Misurin Nesama Shalishlom, and besides his administrative staff, Shlosh Nesalom Shlosh Mil 3300, what is their job? And they were Rode, Rode means to, to tyrannize, right? So in other words, they were the ones who made sure that, you know, everybody was there for roll call. And they made sure that people don't take off extra breaks and things like that. And uh, all I can say is that um, it wasn't a pleasant system. Now, the Redox says something very good, and that is, what did you expect? Meaning, here came home to roost the warning uh, speech of the Prophet Samuel. What did Shmuel Anavi say back in Shmuel <coughs> Aleph when the people asked for a king? Don't ask for a king. You're making a big mistake. He'll become a tyrant. And he's allowed to, you know. In other words, and he will use your sons and daughters for forced labor of this kind or other. The sons to do this and the, and the girls to work in the palace on the perfume and the cooking and things like that. In other words, an essential aspect of a malucha is the forced labor of the subjects. Now, it's true, there was only 30,000 here, but I think probably, you know, in other projects, they had other thousands of people because it was com- confined, literally, in sort of the reign of Shlomo to a very small portion of the population, 30,000. I don't think when he died, there would have been an uprising against his son. Sounds more like this was a general policy. And I'll say it again, corvée, or, or forcing labor from the peasantry, is a, a standard. Now, uh, throughout history, so the people hated it, and fish more if it's the base of Migdash, maybe. Maybe that was a shtickle nechama. It doesn't seem that way, but possibly. Because if you're building a big temple, so it's Rasham, and you can take a look at it when it's over, and you say, wow, I helped build it, and so on and so forth. But this raises, the, I'm not sure about this, this raises the question, which I don't think most people ever give any thought to, which is, what was talk of the reaction of Kalal Yisrael to the building of the base of Migdash in the time of Shlomo? <clears throat> and what I mean by that is, most people don't live near Jerusalem, as far as the tribes go. They live far away. In the time of Shlomo, wasn't a super fancy road system. Didn't have, a, you know, the Baltimore Beltway, as they call it, the BQE and so forth. And especially when the rains are no good and all the rest of it. And so Shalash Ragon was not Pushit. Okay? Shalash Ragon was not Pushit. And you, you and I have no idea how big Yerushalayim was, but things become harder as far as the pilgrimage festivals are concerned, because I think it's a Mishnah in, in Megillah, isn't it, or something like that, where when it was in Shiloh, it was Bechol Haroah. You could camp for miles and miles around if, in the hilly area of Shiloh, because as far as you, as long as you can see it, you know, you can eat the carbonus there and so forth. But in Yerushalayim, you had to live in Achoma, you know, you had to do it within the confines of the city of Jerusalem. And so it was a brand new experience for Kalal Yisrael. You have to go to this place, Yerushalayim, you have to stay inside the walls. It wasn't so, wasn't so comfortable. Now, maybe it's very likely that a guy like Shlomo Melch put on a massive show the way Chizkia did later on. Uh, I mean, I would if I were him, you know, for for the Shalash Regalim. Okay. But if you live far away, you didn't get to see that too often. On the other hand, your kid or whatever might have, uh, you know, busted his back 
working on this labor force as quarriers and as nose sabo, people carry heavy, you know, burdens. It wasn't simple. You, you understand? It wasn't simple. And I imagine, in my mind, that the general, <clears throat> um, how should I put it, resentment from the forced labor system was combined with the fact that many forget, and that is that once Shlomo built it, then the Bamas were also. So here we are for hundreds of years. You had the convenience of a local synagogue, as it were. Obama, of course, a high place with a with, where you do carbonus. Uh, I always say that the best looking Obama I've ever seen was when I was in Megiddo. They have one probably from the pagans. It's very cool looking with red clay surrounded by decorative uh, stones and things like that. It's like a big platform. And the Obama, of course, means you can do <coughs> your carbon, not the carbon Pesach things like that, but the general carbonus. You can do your carbon, you know, in your backyard, so to speak, or, or, or down the street. So it's physically um, convenient. And now comes along this big base amigdash business, and it's usher to, to, to use the local shoal, the local bomo. Now, you know and I know, that never took. That's one thing that the Jewish people couldn't get rid of, the habit of going to the bombas by all the kings. In the book of Malachim, Yamim, it always said this guy was a from king and that goes Rakhabamas lo sorrow. But the Bamas did not depart, meaning they still kept the Bamas. Now, depending which time we're talking about, sometimes the Bama can be used for a pagan type sacrifice. But it's also very often talking about, and I'm sure in the time of face of a king like Asa or Yahushaphat or Uziah, where the kings themselves were from. So these, I don't think the bombers were being used by the Zarab. They were just in violation of the law, which is Kishokam Amigdash Nesru Abamas. That once you have basic English, you can't use your private show. So what would happen in Baltimore, for example, if I were to tell you that the, the, the community got together and they're building two or three or four large shows in this neighborhood and that neighborhood and that neighborhood, and all the little shows have to close down. All the minions have to close. People wouldn't like it. People say, I like my minion. Now, uh, I feel better. I dive in there. Uh, I feel like a mensch there. You know, in the main shul, I'm just like a little schnook. But my own bomba, ich bin der balabas. You see? Uh, you go to the base of Migish on Shoshogolim, you're one of millions. You know, you no longer say Choshev. We forget this. And that's the reason, I think, with the rare physics of exceptions, Chizkin, Yosha, all the kings... We're not able to stop the bombers. That means the people wanted the bombers, which means the people were never that attached, I think, to the base of Migdush. Uh The Kohanim were, and you know, like that, Sanhedrin. The average person probably said, you know, base of Migdush is a nice place. Why do I have to slept there all the time? Imagine Shavuos. You know, you went on Pesach, and then you moved back to Avery Yardin, you know, far away. And now, a few weeks later, you got to go back. Now, it's true, the Chazal say, in the Medrash, I remember, that that's why Shavuos is in the springtime in May and all that. So, you don't have to worry about the rains. That's true. But it's a schlep anyway, because it's a long journey, and they didn't have any automobiles. Okay? So, uh, we don't know exactly how it worked, but I think we tend possibly to gloss over, romanticize, 
the situation. So here is Shlomo Melech mobilizing a forced labor force, which Shmuel Anobi warned against. And Shmuel Anobi, I remember this, he said, on that day you'll say, oh, I regret asking for a king, but it'll be too late. And that's Mashma, that that's what the people said in the time of Shlomo. Uh, now, none of this happened by Moshe. There's no corvée, there's no forced laborer. The most they forced you was a machsa shekel, 50 cent piece. No! <laughs> I mean, yeah, Yanko go crazy. There's all the difference in the world for coming up with a 50 cent piece on the one hand versus schlepping and doing backbreaking heavy, no se sabo, backbreaking labor physically yourself uh, on the other hand. Shlomo didn't ask for Nadavas. Uh, matter of fact, Shlomo kind of had contempt, I guess you'd say, for Nadavas. By that I mean that Dovna Melk in his lifetime, as we all know, was obsessed in a magnificent way with building the base of Mish, even knowing full well that Hashem said, you can't be the one to build the base of Mish. But he was so obsessed with this that he did everything but. And this you see only if you read uh, Divrei Yamalaf. You know, I, I said it many times, it's straight in the book. You know, he, he wrote the music, he organized the Kohanim, he divined the architecture, he, you know, did the, the Mishmaros, all, all the little details. And not only was he focused in this way on the future base of Mish and all its details, but he also handled the financial side of things. He gave a lot of money, he took uh, spoils from the wars, and he gave a lot of it over to the base of Migdash fund, I guess you'd call it, and he collected from others, big shots and things like that. And that's why at the end of the Ramallah, he says to Shlomo, who's young, he says the whole thing is shovel ready. You know, in other words, you're ready to go. Just when you become the king, then God's word about me not being able to do it won't matter anymore. I won't be here, he says. And, you know, just give the word. And Shlomo did not do it that way. It, it, it's not the first thing he did when he was king. Uh, the Chazal discussed that. Um... You know, I mean, it says in our parsha today that uh, it was the 480th year after Yitzhiz Mitzrayim and the fourth year of Shlomo's reign. So Shlomo took four years before he got down on this sort of thing. Okay? Uh, now, uh, how should I put it? When Shlomo did do this, I mean, he paid for it. And he put all the money a double milk gave like in a certain room in the base of Migdash, to show how pious his father had been. Which is very nice. On the other hand, you're not telling the Jewish people to kick in the money, right? You're telling the king to do so. Therefore, it's my temple, it's my house. And I organize everything, and I'm the one in charge of the labor and all the rest of it. Well, that's kind of alienating. It's, it's better, I would think, like the Mishkan, if somebody said, See that socket there? My grandfather donated that. Took it out of Egypt. You know, something like that. You feel you got a piece of the rock. Um, Shlomo, <laughs> less so. And another very important difference. Uh, it, it was a major role in our Haftorah. In Malachim, and all, even more in the book of Devarim, if you read the parallel passages, uh, they used Gaim. Chiram Melech Tzor, Hiram the king of Tyre. It says Shlomo was a smart guy, so he made peace with him. Uh, and uh, I forget who, the Ralbag or somebody says, see, it was his wisdom that he made peace with 
with Chirub, who was king of Lebanon, southern Lebanon, Tyron, Tzor of Sidon. I don't know. Uh, they weren't friends. They had a transactional relationship. Shlomo was ungestalt with guilt. Hiram had all these uh, skilled workers in um, various types of wood. It says so. And uh, Shlomo was giving him the contract of a lifetime. You know? I mean, with Shlomo, the sky's the limit. And if you read, you'll see that a lot of the base of Mish was wood. Not all of it, but a lot of it was the wood. And later on, he built a whole house panel out of wood for himself. And uh, so he gave, him the, he gave him the contract of a lifetime. And it says they were Friacrus They made a covenant between them. So it is true that it's a rare case, maybe unique, in the Bible of a cordial relationship that was recorded between the Jewish king on the one hand and the guy on the other. <clears throat> but it's not so push it. And second of all, you want these guys to be working on something as sacred as the base of Migdash? Now, the answer to that is, you want the job done, you want the job done right. You get the best people on there regardless of their background. And it's a famous speech by Ruff Cook. You know, back in the 20s, they say, oh, how can you support the kibbutzim and then I'm from and all the rest of it? And he famously said, listen, when they built the base, it makes all kind of goyim. After they built it, then it's, uh, you know, then the from takeover. And of course, he meant Israel, you know. So... Okay, I get that. <clears throat> but still, it's kind of funny that it's going to be built, you know, uh, by people who are not Jewish. And and it doesn't accord with what we usually think is the idea of, you know, you do this with kavanas. I remember once I was in Bell's headquarters, you know, the Imperial Building in Jerusalem. And I think, if I remember correctly, the guy said something like, the Bell's the Rebbe personally poured all the concrete or did stuff like that. And the idea was he wanted to do with Kavanos, which I, uh, I respect. I mean, I get that. But then you have the antithesis of that here. We have Gaim doing it. Um, so what kind of Kavanos are you going to have? Or even you have Jews with forced labor. And the treaty or the friendship between the Jews on the one hand and the Lebanese on the other kind of blew up in the face because a couple generations later, the be, precisely because they had good relations, there was intermarriage, as we all know, between the Jewish kings on the one hand and the kings and queens of, of Tyre, of Tzor, on the other hand, with disastrous results. Uh, I'm not even talking about Achav, who was the king in the north, so therefore you say he didn't care about, you know, the Jewish stuff. But even in the south, Yehoshaphat Melch Yehuda, who was a real from guy, ended up uh, marrying his kids to Achav's children. And that's Asalia who murdered the entire royal family except for the baby Yoash, who was the uh, subject of the Haftarah last week in Parshish Golem. And it turns out that it was more than a transactional relationship. It was kind of like, you know, uh, how should I put it? Some kind of uh, fatal, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, you know a, a, a fatal alliance, fatal attraction. And so, it uh, would have been better, and you and I would expect that it would say that Shlomo got Jews to build it, and Hashem gave them Chachma like, like he gave to Betzalel and Oliev. Um, the plain way of reading Betzalel and Oliev is, you know, 
they were inspired by God, therefore they got it right. So why couldn't Shlomo do that? Instead he has to go to Hiram the Melch Tzor, and it brings all these specialists. Like I say, you look at different Yamim, and you'll see it. Uh, in wood, and you know, they do the carvings. And later on, he gets another guy who's half Jewish, half not Jewish. There's another Hiram of Tyre. Don't confuse the two. One's the Geisha King. The other one was the Michelangelo, the Cellini, who cast all kinds of things in bronze. Uh, look, you know, Shlomo's smarter than I am, but uh, you know, it's, it's hard to understand. It's hard to see. It's not what you would have expected. That's my point. So you have a very interesting Haftorah, and uh, it raises the question, you know, is it possible and is it advisable to have a friendship and treaty in the Middle East? Uh, because the other side, you know, even if they mean it now, the day after tomorrow, it's going to come down and bite you. So yes, we talk about all the construction and architecture of the base of Migdush, and that's the parallel with the Parsha of Truma, and all that sort of thing. Yes, this is true. Uh, but on the other hand, and and they only do a little bit in this parsha. I mean, Shlomo Melch had a weird policy, covered everything in wood, and then they poured gold over that. You know? So what's the point of having the fancy schmancy wood if you cover it up with gold anyway? But uh, obviously he he knew what he's doing better than me. But uh, it is it is funny when you actually... Not many people I know have taken the trouble to actually read the chapters in, um, in what do you call it, in um, Malachim, in Devarayama, about the building of Beis Hamikdash. Everybody reads Truma Tetzava Kisisa Vayacha Pakude because of Parshat Week. Less so in the, in the Beis Hamikdash stuff. But I think if you do do that, you'll see many things that are kind of funny to us, but uh, maybe we'll follow this up uh, next week. Anyway, I want to thank once again the Rechtan family, and uh, pay tribute to the father. Ms. Rechtain's father should have an aliyah, obviously. I'm sure he went through the war and everything. So uh, those people get extra aliyah. We, in our show, lost the last survivor this uh, last week, I suppose. Mr. Buchwalter and uh, that generation, my parents' generation, is in the course of things leaving the scene. So I do pay tribute to the memory. And again, I wish Rafuah Shlema for your sister's knees, and for Shlema for my own knees. And on that high note, wish everybody a good week.